0: tackling really challenging issues, and as you can already tell from the intro, we're going to have a different conversation today. It's fascinating to me that months ago, I decided to do a three-week series on racism and specifically racism in the church, and then since making that decision, so much has happened from Ahmaud Arbery to George Floyd just a week ago. And I think I, like I'm sure most of you, am sitting here today with just a extremely heavy heart. And I'm struggling to process everything and I'm struggling to know how to move forward. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I don't want to pretend like I have all the answers. I'm not the expert on this. I would certainly encourage you to listen to the previous two episodes where we do have people that I would say are experts with Dr. Soon-Jen Ra and with Jerell Roach. But I'm just going to give you my own perspective and my own experience. This podcast will be geared more towards my white listeners because that's my story. I'm a white man and this has been something that's been very important to me for a long time which I'm sure is why this hurts so much or why this has caused me so much pain this week as it has for so many of us. So again, it's just my hope that this would be a dialogue that would be helpful on any level and that when you're done listening to it, that you would feel like you have some sort of something in your hands and in your heart and in your mind so that you feel at least a little bit confident that you know how to make a first step forward in this conversation. So this isn't easy, but we're going to do our best, and this is important, and even though this series ends today, the conversation's not going to stop. I grew up in southern Wisconsin in a small town and I grew up Catholic. Not only did I go to Catholic Church, I also went to a Catholic grade school. One of the images from that season of my life was a picture that was on the west wall in between the four classrooms of that school. It was a floor to ceiling picture of Jesus and it filled up the entire wall. And the reason I remember that picture so much and the reason even why I'm talking about it that I can see it in my mind is because that image of Jesus was Jesus as a white man. He had a skin complexion that was lighter than mine. He had blonde flowing hair and he had these piercing blue eyes. The reason why this is a problem may be obvious to you as you're listening but first and foremost jesus was from the middle east so he certainly was not a white man and so the question has to be asked why was this picture of jesus white when i think it's common knowledge that jesus wasn't white and i don't necessarily have an answer to that i could assume a lot of things but i don't want to do that but the reason why this picture in this situation was so unbelievably problematic is because there was a group of kids first grade through sixth grade that were looking at that picture every day believing that that was a picture of jesus so i grew up believing and nobody told me differently i grew up believing that jesus was a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes Nobody in my church told me that wasn't true. Nobody in my family told me that wasn't true. Nobody told me that wasn't true. That was just the accepted Jesus that I grew up with. And it wasn't until I got to high school and I started thinking about my faith and reading the Bible for myself that I had the thought in my mind, wait a second, the picture of that man on the wall was not a picture of Jesus because Jesus wasn't white. And I think that begs the question, Why is it that we try to paint Jesus in a light that isn't true? And I think maybe the answer to that can be obvious in a lot of ways, but also unique to each of us individually. That we love Jesus to make sense to us in a way that we feel like he's just like us, when in reality we're just trying to make Jesus to be more understandable, but that's not helpful. Jesus is who he was, and he was not a white man. He was a man that was not white, and he was a man that stood against racial injustice. He would go out of his way to reach out to people of different ethnic backgrounds than even himself. And he was somebody that stood with the oppressed. That's the real Jesus. The real Jesus isn't this beautiful-looking man on my wall at my school. And so it starts there, and I would do some youth speaking in my 20s. And I did a message exactly on this. And I would have all of the students start by drawing a picture of Jesus. I would put a piece of paper on their chairs. I'd give them some colored pencils. And I'd say, just draw a picture of Jesus. And these camps and these conferences that I would speak at were predominantly white. And the pictures of Jesus that these kids drew, these students drew, were almost always white. They were almost always a picture of Jesus that looked just like them. So I realized that even though they didn't see the same picture of Jesus that I saw growing up, they learned about a Jesus that was white just like them. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, whether consciously or subconsciously, they were following a white Jesus. I eventually ended up working in the evangelical church for a number of years. Actually I would say the majority of my career is connected to the evangelical church. And I'll never forget this one experience that I had. And again I can picture it like it was yesterday, where I was leading worship right outside of Minneapolis at this big church and there was thousands of people there. And I remember looking, scanning the crowd from or the congregation from left to right and having this realization in that moment that wait a second This entire church is a group of white people just like me. And I remember going home after that experience and talking to my wife Susie about it, but then really making it personal and realizing that not only was the church that I was serving not diverse ethnically, but my life was not diverse in any way. The people around me, the people that I surrounded myself with, whether intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or subconsciously, were a bunch of people that were the same as me ethnically. They were the same as me socioeconomically. They were even the same as me in our religious belief systems. I was really broken in that moment, and I realized that I had to be the person that changed my reality. I had to be intentional if I wanted this to change in my life. And that's the story that I've heard from some of the people I've been talking to about this, especially people of color, that in order to make any sort of movement forward, there has to be an intentionality. And so I quit that job Susie and I quit that position and we moved back, and this might seem like a questionable decision, but we moved back to Eau Claire, which is even less diverse community than we were in when we were leading worship at that church, but we became intentional. And the two things that I did that changed my life forever is number one, we started a missional church community downtown in Eau Claire, where we served marginalized people in our community. And so suddenly, for the first time in my life, I was surrounded by people who were very different from me in so many different ways. The other thing I did, so both of these were career-oriented, but the other thing that I did is I took a position as a prison chaplain in a small prison in northern Wisconsin, a medium-security prison. And in that prison, in that chapel, I was almost always the minority. And this is a bigger issue for another day that we will talk about but there is a huge racial disparity in our prison systems in Wisconsin and as much as I cherished that experience of finding friends and brothers who were not white who were not like me in any way shape or form I cherish that experience so much I just got off the phone yesterday with one of the men that I met there It was so beautiful. They accepted me in spite of my whiteness. Not only did they accept me as part of their community, they accepted me as the leader of their community. And I learned so much from the men there. But it was all under a shroud of injustice because of this disparity that we have in our prison systems. White men are five times less likely to be incarcerated during their lives than black men. Same for black women. So I realized in that moment that I was a part of a system that was very unjust. And as much as I wanted to be there for those men, which I was for seven years, I knew at one point that I could no longer accept a paycheck from a system that was so oppressive. And so I quit that position as well. I guess that's my history. When I feel like something needs to change, I just quit what I'm doing and try to figure something else out. And I would say that I'm still on that journey right now. I mean, that was a number of years ago, but I'm still on this journey to stand up for the oppressed, to follow the true Jesus and to find a more diverse circle of people in my life. And the reason why I do this is deep, I suppose, and varied and, and, I don't know, hard to explain. But I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. As a white person in this country, I've, I have, I've gained a very clear and a very real understanding that all the privilege that I have, which is a lot I mean, you could argue that the people group that I am a part of ethnically and where I live in America, you could argue that I am one of the most privileged groups of people. I'm a part of one of the most privileged group of people that has ever walked the face of this planet. But I have a clear and real understanding that all of this privilege that I experience every single day of my life, it's built on the oppression of people of color. The industry in my country is built by the oppression of people of color. The political system that I adhere to in this country is built on the oppression of people of color. The American church that I have attended for the majority of my life is built on the oppression of people of color. I live out in the country on this beautiful little plot of land. I've got four acres of land that I call my own. But the reality is that at some point in the history of my country, the land that I claim to be my own, the land that I say I own, was stolen from Native Americans. So I call something my own that was at one point stolen from people who were being oppressed. So as a white man with all of this privilege, one option that I have is that I could just pretend like none of this is going on. I live out in the middle of the country around a bunch of white people. I could just plug my ears and close my eyes and go on with my life. And as long as I didn't look at social media or turn on the television, I wouldn't even realize anything's happening. That's one option that I have. And I think that's one option that a lot of people have. But I don't think it's the option that Jesus would desire us to choose. I think the option that Jesus would desire us to choose is that we would use all of this privilege that we have to look and act like Jesus so that we would go out of our way to stand up for those who are oppressed. In this situation, we'd go out of our way to stand up for brothers and sisters of color. And for some of us, we're going to have to really search those people out because we've built our lives around people that look just like us. And as a white man who lives with all this privilege, the worst thing I could do is to be neutral or to to not say anything. But the right thing to do is to show up at the table. The right thing to do is to be here for the change. And as Dr. Soong Chan-Ra said a couple of podcasts ago, the right thing to do is for me to spend some time just lamenting over the history, the racial history of our country. So I know one of the questions that I've been hearing a ton, and honestly, I can just tell from things I'm seeing, is that people don't feel like they have a clue of what they should do. So if you're like me and you live in a predominantly white area of the world, And if the people surrounding you are predominantly people who look just like you, you know, what do we do? What what can we possibly do? But no matter what your situation, I think that's an important question to ask, because Jesus was a person of change. He was a person of action. And that's how we want to be as well. And so I'm just going to give you a few things that I've learned over these past couple of weeks. And you can take them or leave them. And this is not me telling you what you should do. It's me telling you what I'm trying to do. The first thing, number one, the first thing I'm trying to do is to be extremely humble in all of this. And the reason I'm trying to do that, first and foremost, is because that's, the, that's what Jesus shows us. That's what Jesus teaches us, is to be people of humility, but as I started to post some things on Facebook and started to read some posts from other people on Facebook, which in so many situations turned into a big shitstorm. But when I started to read what people were posting, I was noticing that a lot of it lacked humility. And what I mean by that is people would look at the situation with George Floyd and they'd quickly turn it to be about themselves. Great example, black lives matter, no all lives matter. What you just did is you just turned the situation from a group of people that are reeling and hurting right now, and you turned it to be about yourself. Sure, all lives matter, but that's not important right now. What's important right now is that black lives matter. I was talking to my friend Jarrell Roach, who was on the previous podcast to this, And we're talking about that exact same thing. And he said, if your son, if you're a black person and your son or daughter is killed or has, has experienced something racist that day and you're mad about it and you're frustrated about it and you reach out to somebody and you say, my kids, my kids life matters. The last thing you want them to say back to you is, oh, yeah, my kids life matters, too. It's true, but it's irrelevant in that moment. And so, when we look at this situation and we see the atrocity that happened with George Floyd and with so many others, and we look at it and we, in any way, shape, or form, make it about us, that's selfish. In that moment, it might not feel selfish, but I'm saying it out loud it's selfish. If you make it about yourself, you're lacking humility. Another place I've seen this is that some folks have gotten really offended that people are saying they're people of privilege, that, that white privilege applies to them. Well, if you're a white person in America, white privilege definitely does apply to you. But the point is, don't make it about you. We should be reeling and hurting right now. And we shouldn't be making this about our feelings. We should make this about the situation, the reality that is in front of us. And that is going to take a lot of humility and that is going to be challenging from time to time. But it's arguably the most important starting point that we could take to be people of humility. Second thing is just to simply reach out. Just reach out to anybody in your life that is not white. Reach out to anybody in your life. And I don't even care if they're, they're not real close to you. Just reach out. Do something. After I was seeing all the, the things that was, were going on and I was seeing some of the comments flying around and hearing all of the dialogue, I just, I just felt so broken and so hurt and, and so depressed in so many ways. And really what I felt deep in my heart was that the right thing to do in that moment was to simply make sure the people that are in my circle of influence are doing okay. And so I got on the phone and I started calling And I started reaching out to the people that I know that I'm sure are deeply affected by this because of the color of their skin. And just that action was such a beautiful thing for every single person I talked to. Just that action was responded to with such gratitude and thankfulness. Because people of color at this point in history are angry and they're sad and they're experiencing something that I as a white person cannot understand. But just me reaching out to them was at least one small part of a healing process for the people of color in my life. So reach out. Whoever you have in your life, reach out. The third thing, and this again comes from Dr. Soon-Chan Ra, but diversify what you consume. He asked such a great question. And if you, again, if you didn't listen to this podcast, so important, go back two podcasts ago and listen to Professor Tsung Chan Ra because man, that guy's got some wisdom. But he said, think about the last 10, and then he listed off a bunch of different things. Think about the last 10 books you've read. Think about the last 10 podcasts you've listened to. Think about the last 10 television shows you've watched. Think about the last 10 uh, songs you listened to. And he said, was the person that was primary in those things, were, were they people of color or were they people that were white? And he challenged the listeners, he challenged me to diversify what I'm consuming And so I am trying to currently, and and I've done an okay job at this, but there's definitely room that I can improve. I'm trying to read more books from black authors. I'm trying to read more books of authors that are Native American. I'm trying to listen to music that doesn't sound like a bunch of people that look like me. And I'm trying to watch TV shows where the main characters aren't white. And the reason this is important is, number one, you're supporting the work and the art and the intellect of people of color. And you're also learning something about culture. You're learning something that you've probably never learned before just by listening to voices of people that are unlike you. So diversify what you consume. And the last thing I'll give you is is simply this. Just use what you have. Use your voice. There is a young woman in our community, a young black woman that posted something on Facebook just the other day. And she said, so many white people won't listen to a black person. So she said, I need people who are white to speak to people who are white about people who are not white. So use your voice. Saying anything is saying something make sure that this world knows that you stand like jesus you stand with those who are oppressed you stand with those who are hurting you stand with those who are reeling and you stand against injustice do that in whatever way you can Maybe you do that by some post you share on social media. Maybe you do that simply by stopping an ignorant conversation that somebody around you is happening. Maybe you do that by not laughing when everybody else is laughing. Maybe you do that by taking a stand with your voice. Use your position. That's another thing that you have. Whatever position that may be, use it. Use your position as a parent to speak to your kids about this. Use your position at work to assure that your workplace is being proactive when it comes to racial injustice. Use your position at your church to make sure these conversations are happening. There are far too many churches where this conversation is simply not happening. Even now, even after all of this, there are so many churches that just aren't talking about this. Speak up, let your pastors know that you need to speak about this, that you as a part of this faith community need to have this conversation and so many others. And then finally, use your vote. We have some real ignorance going on right now in our political system. Use your vote to put people in authority in your area that are going to value the voice of the oppressed, that are going to value the rights of the oppressed, We have such a system that has pushed down the minority for far too long. And one thing that we have is our vote. So again, just to recap those four things that I've been learning and and things that I'm working on myself. is number one, just to be humble in everything you do and everything you say. Number two, reach out. Number three, diversify what you're consuming. And then finally, use what you have, your voice, your position, and your vote. I'm going to close with this that I'm confident that the answers will not be found by blasting our anger or frustration on social media. Now that that's a bad thing, that's an outlet that we have and I'm not coming against anybody who has expressed their frustration. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm simply saying that's not where the ultimate answers will be found. So maybe We start there, but we can't end there. I believe the answers will not be found by continuing to hang out with a bunch of people that look just like you. There's no way that you can understand a different side if you're not immersed in that other side. I'm confident that the answers will emerge as we model Jesus, And we show up at the table, no matter how difficult or how uncomfortable it may be, no matter how tired you are of hearing about it, continue to show up at the table. What usually happens in situations like this, I should say this, what always happens in situations like this, is everything that happened from the murder of George Floyd to the riots and the protests? Eventually, everything will start to quiet down, and eventually, something else will grab our attention. And we'll forget all about it until the next horrific thing happens in the streets of America. So, if we can humbly continue to show up at the table, even when the media isn't blasting a reality in our face. We still have this conversation. This is a reality in our world and in our country that will not be fixed overnight. This is a long, drawn-out process that God is calling us to for healing, for reconciliation, for restoration, and it takes every single one of us to use whatever we have, and to keep the conversation going. Please, friends, do not let this conversation die. Jesus, is one prayer that we have from him, not the Lord's prayer, not what he taught us how to pray, but the prayer that we have him praying for us in the book of John, he says, may they be one as I and the Father are one. Brothers and sisters, we are not one. We are not even close to one. We are not even close to unified. So if we truly want the heart of Jesus, we have to do this very hard work that's in front of us. And we need to do it for the rest of our lives. And we need to never stop doing it. Even when you're tired. Even when you're sick of it. Even when you can't do one more thing or have one more conversation. Keep going. These conversations may cost you a lot, but it will be worth it. Until next time, keep walking.